You're listening to the Nurture Project podcast with Sophie Dale. So, on today's podcast, I am talking to Shweta Vikram, and um, I'd like to say a very warm welcome. Hello. Thank you, Sophie. I'm excited to be here. So, um, can we start by um, just finding out a bit, before we kind of dive into talking about self-care and all the different angles, um, can you talk a little bit about the journey that brought you to doing this work? Sure. So I'll, I'll tell you, like, you know, even when I was a little girl, um, I would practice my autograph, at the, like at the back of my notebook. I didn't know what, I knew I was going to be a writer and I practiced my autograph. I didn't know how the two worked together. Um, lo and behold, all these years later, um, you know, I, I've been writing my entire life. But I realized with, with writing, one of the things that people would always ask me when I would go to a writing residency is like, you're back year after year and you've completed a book. What are you doing? And, um, you know, you never think about these things unless people tell you because it sounds so narcissistic. Like, oh, I go here, I finish my book and I come back. To me, it was just what you do. It wasn't that I was doing anything special. So I started to realize and I realized like, I'm very good with routine. Like I'm not a free flowing um, artist by any standards. I like discipline. I, you know, I studied in a boarding school, so it's very deeply ingrained in me. Um, so I think that's when I chanced one wellness, just what others said to me. Then I started to look at my productivity and then I started to break it down into pieces that, okay, how is this working? And just having the discipline, the motivation, daily habits, um, which I guess we'll talk about later. That really helped. And I think losing my mom six years ago, very suddenly, that just kicked me and got wellness to a whole different level. You know, she was young, she was fine, and she passed away suddenly. And it just made me realize, and she wasn't a writer. And I'm like, imagine writers, there's just so much that goes up inside our heads. And we're trying to create this alternate reality, which oftentimes, especially in fiction, is prettier than your real life. And, you know, you hear about so many of these writers who are unwell, who've uh, ended their suffering, all of that stuff. And I'm like, I need to do something to help writers. Um, and I think so it was like these fragments that were floating around in the universe and they all came together literally right after my mom passed away. It became like my mission that, you know, she believed in self-care, um, but it was a physical self-care, like getting her nails done, a facial done. I'm like, are you pausing? Are you taking care of yourself, of yourself on the inside? So I think that's where it, it all came together for me. So can we talk a little bit more then about what self-care does mean to you? So it's not the kind of, you know, what's sold to us as self-care of the bubble baths and the pedicures and all of that kind of thing. I mean, uh, that is great too. That's one kind of self-care um, because, you know, it's restful. I'm hoping that people are not taking calls when they're doing a soaked in bubble bath or stuff, uh, whatever have you. But it's like literally pausing on a daily basis, checking in with yourself, especially as writers and this is not me saying there's like enough research that's proven that writers amongst all the other artists have uh, the highest number of mental health disorders, be it bipolar, schizophrenia. Yeah, I, I've written a lot about mental health and writers have ended up doing a lot of research. And then when you think of these famous writers who um, ended their lives by the time they were 40. So, I mean, when you think of it, like it's again, this whole idea of creating this alternate world. And what if you don't come back from it? You create that and then you look at your real world. So 
how do you have these healthy boundaries? This is my work, just like a day job. And then when I come back, this is my life, the life that I've chosen or it's been chosen for me. And I'm, so I think all of those concepts, so for me, self-care is really on a daily basis, checking in with yourself without any judgment, just as an observer. How am I doing today? You know, how am I feeling today? And uh, again, amongst writers, there's a lot of substance abuse and I'm not speaking from any place of judgment, just from a place of, I'm drinking that fourth glass of wine. Do I really want that wine? Or am I trying to wash away some emotion that I don't want to deal with? What does that five mile run represent? What does that pint of haagen represent? So to me, that is self-care. Pausing on a daily basis, checking in with yourself. How do I feel? And, and you know, I write nonfiction as well. And you realize you're giving a voice to other people. Um, and you can feel really spent. So self-care is radical. Like you can't just tell other people's stories and not take care of your inner voice. So on some days it might be just Netflixing for three hours. On other days it might be like, for me, nature is very important. I have to be amidst trees. I live in the city, but like, thankfully we have a beautiful trail close to home. I'll go there every day because for me, that is self-care. If I don't do that, I know I don't feel centered. So ask yourself, what is it that you need? What does your writing need? What, what does nurturing mean to you? And be open to the idea of it might change on a weekly basis. And especially during the pandemic, it might change on a daily basis. Like I have enough clients and friends who tell me, hey, I was doing yoga daily and now I'm so sick of Zoom uh, on, or yoga on Zoom that I don't want to do it. So I'm like, so fine. Good you know that. Do something. Move your body. And so self-care, another very important aspect to me is, of course, mental health, but it's also the physical movement. You know, we like as writers, we can be on a laptop like this or poured over a journal and then we don't move. And it's like, oh, the character is speaking to me. I understand all of that. I am one of those too, right? But you have to like, if you, know, if, if you won't do it out of your own volition, put like a reminder in your phone that you've got to get up. You've got to move. Um, it's not just because, you know, to be a certain size, that's not the point. It's to move because that's what releases stress. It releases all the happy... Um, neurotransmitters, you want those endorphins because writing can feel very lonely and it can, you know, like from an Ayurvedic perspective, it can really leave you in that space of air and ether. Um, You want to feel centered. So do things that center you, including making time for the people you love or hobbies that you like, like writing can't be the be all and end all. And that's a very important part of self-care, which we don't often address because we think, oh, it's just going to a spa. That's one part. But the inner care is even more important than the outer care. Hugely, hugely. And I think that one of the things that um, I see in my clients as as writers is when people's kind of well of inspiration runs dry, Mm. they don't stop to think, what can I do to inspire myself? They just kind of sit there at their laptop beating themselves up because they don't know what to write next when in fact you have to keep refilling the cup before you can pour it, you know? Um, and, and I think that's a big part of self-care as well for writers is, is self-care for yourself and your body and your spirit and so on, but also self-care for your creativity, nurturing your creativity and seeing that as part of your job as a writer, um, such a big part of it. Um, I really love that. Yeah. And we, and I think another thing I feel very strongly towards, it's like we are not our writing. So like, I think for a lot of clients, I realize like there's this identity crisis that, oh my God, like, like you said, you know, the writer's block. So they'll keep sitting at the laptop. Like the minute it's, it's, it's a mind game. You tell yourself you're not your writer. That is what you do. 
And it's a gift that you can do that, but it ends there. You know, it's, there's the saying, what we resist persists. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you, and that's true in relationships too. So like space, that space is very important. Space between you and your creativity, space between you and your own brain. Like, like stop badgering yourself that, oh, now my career is over because I can't write this. No, it's, it's okay. No one has all good days. Um, so yeah. And a, a moment ago, you were mentioning um, bringing in kind of Ayurvedic thoughts to your self-care. Could you talk a little bit about how you incorporate the, the kind of principles behind Ayurveda into your approach to self-care? Sure. So I have to start off with saying like Ayurveda is very customized. So it would really depend client to client. There's no, like, you know, in Western medicine, you have a headache. It's like take a Tylenol, take an Advil. In Ayurveda, it would be the symptoms that you treat. Um, how did you sleep the night before? How, who were you talking to? What did you eat? So I've been going to writing retreats and residencies for a really, really long time. And the one thing that I noticed, it's the place where people are drinking until three in the morning. Um, and from an Ayurvedic perspective, you need, we are a miniature of nature, right? So you wake up and the sun is up. So latest by six and you go to bed latest by 10. Um, because then for a lot of people, it's like, you know, they're like, I get the second wind after 11 p.m. Of course you do, but you shouldn't be because sleep is what heals you. Um, sleep is what keeps your immune system going. Um, schedule is what you keeps your brain creative like Pavlov's dog. Um, and th- there is this whole misconception about I need to be up late into the night to create. At some point, it catches up with your health. So um, from an Ayurvedic perspective, it's literally, we think of ourselves as a miniature of nature. So when the sun is at its highest, that's the afternoon, eat your biggest meal, um, you know, and eat something light at night. Because all of that, what we eat impacts how we think. Our gut is called our second brain for a reason because 85% of serotonin is released there. So if it's, there's only alcohol in there, there's no nutrition going to your brain. Again, I love my wine, so I'm not judging it, like just giving like, science behind it. Like you, you want to have a glass of wine, have it before, not when you go to bed or not until three in the morning, you should probably be up by six. So a lot of time is lost in living the lifestyle of a writer or what defines you as an artist versus living your truth, which is like, just listen to your body. If you get into the habit, like I have this reputation, I'll sleep even at parties. I don't care. Like I get sleepy. I like going to bed early. So and I'm like, I also am social. So I'll go out. Uh, but but that is the exception on a Friday and a Saturday night. Otherwise, I'm out by 9.30. And part of it is, again, it, it really lends. There's this time. So 6 to 10 p.m. from an Ayurvedic perspective or 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. as well is the kapha time, which is the grounding time in your schedule. And kapha is basically earth and water element. So that's when you, there's not much movement. That's why eat an early dinner by 6. The sun is also gone for the most part unless it's summer in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, and then because it's a grounding time, it's kind of nice to go to bed by then because after 10 p.m. is the pitta time. And pitta is all fire. So when people say, I was on fire, you literally were uh, because it's the pitta time. But the, and the other thing, uh, Sophie, is like every organ flushes its toxins out at a certain time. And I'm just making this up. Like if you're drinking at two in the morning or eating potato chips and your liver flushed itself out at 11 p.m., so the toxins remain in your body until 11 p.m. next day. I mean, are you kidding? It, it is going to catch up one day. So from an Ayurvedic perspective, that's what it's not saying. Don't drink, don't eat. But there's a time for everything. And the one thing I can vouch for is like you see a change in your productivity when there is discipline. 
because even your brain and your body and your mind and your spirit, they all know how to nurture you because you're nurturing them. Versus if you, if you know, if you're up until four and then you wake up at 11, or if you have little kids at home, you're still waking up at 6.37. So you're sleep deprived. And artists are notorious uh, for their emotional imbalance, right? We have that reputation, like bouncing off of walls. So what you're doing is you're increasing vata, which is the air and space um, elements in your body. So the bouncing off is literally we are bouncing off because you're in this elevated state. You're constantly in your head, but the grounding happens when there is earth element involved. So hence the scheduling and living a more mindful life can impact your creativity directly. And, and talking about scheduling and um, time and so on, um, I am aware that you are a super busy person. Like you have a lot of things on and yet you are managing, so I believe, to, to prioritize your um, self-care. So talk us through how you actually do that. Like when does it happen? How, how do you make sure you integrate it into your day? Throughout the day, honestly, I am up. I'm a morning person, and uh, naturally, and it's become a habit. It's both, and I think what becomes a habit becomes natural. So it's uh, a chicken and egg. Um, so I'm up by five, and uh, I have a day job as well, and a business, and a writing business. That's uh, what I mean about busy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I'll, I'll tell you, and I'll get into the day. But I finish work by six thirty, six because we eat dinner by six thirty. So I can get a lot done during the day, but then I give my brain 12 hours of rest. Unless I'm doing an event, I won't even look at an email. Um, I don't do phone calls in the evening. So when I wake up, the first thing I do is my meditation, my pranayama, and like, even if it's, if I have the time, I'll do a few sun salutations, but at least my meditation and pranayama. So I don't want to wake up and just be all jarred. Like you need centering. So I'll, you know, I'll do that. And I start my day job, it depends, between 7 and 8 a.m. So I have this two hours in the morning um, to get my, you know, self-care in place. And then uh, for me, movement is key. It's extremely important aspect of my self-care. So what I'll, um, sometime during the day, like towards the end of the day, I'll go either for a hike or some kind of hike cardio. And during my lunch or like 30 minutes in between, I'll also practice yoga. And like I said, like I like to cook fresh dinner. And then when we're done with dinner by 7 p.m., either I'm reading, sometimes watching TV, but it's my moment to just be. And our friends and family know for the most part, unless it's an emergency, I don't do phone calls in the evening. Just because like when you're on the phone before you go to bed, um, your vata gets really high and it impacts the quality of your sleep, your dreams, and as a direct result, your productivity the next day. So it's just, just become that way. Um, and like there'll be some days where I feel more tired than usual and I'll, I'll check and I'll give myself that space that, you know what, I need to be in. Mornings is also when I write. So before I log into work, I will get an hour of writing done. So I don't feel like towards the end of the week, I haven't gotten anything done because if you organize your schedule accordingly, like the last thing you need is more pressure. So I think I do all of these things on a daily basis and that's been very helpful to sort of keep a balance. Like I can switch from work mode to creative mode to business mode um, because they're like time slots allocated for that, so to speak. Does mm. that answer your question? That does answer my question. Um, but I have a follow-up question, which is sure. when, when you start working with a, a new client and they may be feeling quite overwhelmed, they might be quite close to burnout. Right. Obviously they're not going to, 
um, or at least I'm assuming they're not going to um, bring in a whole new schedule with all these different bits immediately. So what, what's the kind of first step? What's a small doable thing that you start, you start with when you start working with them? What, what's kind of one little tip that... You know, so depending on where the client is in life, especially the personal life more than professional life, um, if, if the person doesn't have little kids, they're single, the one first thing I say to them is, start to work with the sleep schedule that in itself takes care of a lot of things this watching netflix until midnight is really not healthy for anyone i mean i watch netflix but i love netflix but there's a time for that so i'll work with their sleep schedule but for you know um, women who have young kids and the demands on their life and especially now that they're working from home there is no going to work there's no compartmentalization of Oh, your commute time is your me time. It's, it's like have an honest conversation with your partner and maybe offer the same in return. Like you need 30 minutes just you and maybe have signs for your kids. Like, you know, when this sign is up, you can't talk to mommy or you can't talk to daddy or go talk to the other person unless it's an emergency. Um, so it's like getting the family involved, especially for women. We tend to give in a lot and we expect the other party to just understand what we're going through. With men, very often we need to communicate and, you know, if, if, so that's the first thing that I'll say to women, you know, if they are with a male partner, um, communicate that you need this time and communicate with your kids. Like if they're little, just show them like a funny animated sign that's put up, like this is mommy's time. So that's not overwhelming. And they start to see the benefits. Like when you get 30 minutes with yourself on a daily basis, it can be such a gift it starts to put things into perspective and it also learns teaches you how to detach without me asking them to do that like oh the world will not come to an end if i don't tend to my family for 30 minutes so um it's it's also like a lot of mindset working on the mindset so instead of overwhelming people to your point so people like start doing these five things i won't do that too if i were to start a program for anything we had to like completely overhaul my life i'd be like toodles but if it's one thing when, when my, my clients, the people I work with, it's like, I'm not here to preach wellness to you. You are here because you've chosen, you want to make some changes. So, you know, they, they have that bandwidth to make a little bit of change. I don't have to convince them to make that change. So we, you know, we, we meet each other where they are and then start work from there. Perfect. Thank you. And if people do want to find out more about working with you or more about your books or more about you generally, where is the best place for them to start? So that would be my website. So www.shwetavikram.com. That's Sam, Water, Echo, Tom, Apple, Victor, India, Kite, Apple, Mary.com. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Nurture Project podcast. If you enjoyed this, please make sure to check out the other episodes.